Hello, this is Daryl here, sending love as always. Thank you for tuning in. I just want to say, if you like this interview, you can check our website for companion workbooks, action guides, tools, checklists, templates, and show notes with links for everything mentioned on the call. Just visit bestbusinesscoach.ca. That's best, B-E-S-T, businesscoach.ca. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we are joined by Bita Sigari, Vice President for Human Resources Management and Development at Makati Medical Center. For over 20 years, Bita's core focus has been to define talent strategy, advise business leaders, and drive successful change to strengthen their ability to lead teams in high-pressure environments. With over 3,400 staff to look over, she knows a thing or two about leading. So I've asked Bita to join us here today to help us all better grow our people to grow our businesses with them. So Bita, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing? Hi, Daria. Good afternoon to everyone. I'm doing good. How are you? Yeah, we're good. I'm excited to have you here. That was a really nice, genuine smile. Look, there it is again. That's so good. I love it. <laughs> so before we hop into managing people and leading, how did you even get into kind of like management and leadership positions? Do you, were your parents in those kind of careers too? Okay. To be honest, I am working in human resources, but my background is really biology and genetics and biotechnology. So it's a bit far from what I'm doing right now, but there's a connection eventually that happened and led me into human resources. So yeah, I finished my master's in molecular genetics, and that was because both my parents are scientists. Uh, so I was born in Iran, and my parents are both Persians, and we came to the Philippines because they were sent actually to an international rice research institution. So they're both into sciences, and my dad is a geneticist too, so I love to listen to him of on how we are, how we look like and why our hair is straight and what are these genes that are controlling everything and even our behavior, you know? So it led me to really going into genetics and I wanted to become a medical doctor. So from a very young age, I wanted to be into medicine and medical career. That's why I also took up biology. And so my first career, I uh, started by teaching when I was doing my master's. So I was the University of the Philippines, where I also finished my bachelor degree, which is a state university. And so I started teaching and I never actually realized that I would love teaching. At a very young age, I was 21, but the feedback from the students and how they were learning from me was amazing. So it was like, okay, this is nice. It's a nice feeling at a very young age that I'm really molding people. So eventually, like, it, it came into a kind of realization that I am able to mold people and my strength, I think, is communication no? and teaching and learning. So from there, when I was doing my thesis in my master's degree, I was, since my parents were already at the International Rice Research Institute or ERI, it's a known organization, no? international organization, I was given the opportunity to do my master's thesis there. And while I was doing my master's thesis on rice, <laughs> they noticed my communication skills and how I would influence people and how I was able to 
teach people while I was in the research area. Mm -hmm. And so in a very informal way, someone asked me, would you like to join the public relations office of Erie, wherein they actually need someone who can speak, but mm -hmm. is a scientist. Mm -hmm. And it was very hard for them to find someone, a scientist, who yeah. is really in the laboratory, but can talk. And so I was like, I don't know anything about public relations. and But it was very interesting. I and Eventually, I'll talk about this. I like taking risks in life. So it was like an opportunity for me to check out. And I did. And I grew in that public relations office for another 10 years in that same organization. I was there for a total of 13 years in Erie. And most of it was in public relations. And that is where I really learned uh, not only teaching, but also a little bit of HR because the office was given to me basically without any staff. Yeah. And so I had to start by, okay, what do I want? What's my organization? And those talks with HR people, I didn't know how they work, but it was very interesting how they look at the organization, how they look at the people. It was just a complicated thing for me at the time, but it was very amazing to see how getting a simple candidate to putting that kind, that person in an organization and how it matches into your organization and how the output of your organization would be dependent on that person. Mm. It was amazing. No, it mm. was amazing. And then, yeah, then I really grew in HR and I was asked to join Accenture, this global organizations. Very lucky to be given the opportunity to work with Accenture, specifically in the HR division, but mostly focusing on communication. And as Accenture is a global organization, so I was tasked to, because I was working in an international organization and was really into working with different nationalities. It's mm. not only the Philippine, and right. I myself was a Corner. living in the Philippines. No, they asked me to be the focal point in communicating with global office and bringing in the changes in the organization. So how you tweak that from a global perspective to a local perspective? You need to understand international culture and you need to have the understanding of the Filipino culture. So how would that tweak would be? And it really worked well for me in Accenture. I learned a lot from Accenture and then I joined Oracle, another international global organization. And uh, the, my leadership skills really was through all these experiences. Mm -hmm. But I would say there were people during my career that really helped me through and people that I looked up to throughout my career. And then, yeah, and then eventually another organization, which is called the Life Sciences on the medical side, called me and was interested and I really got interested because of my background of really wanting medicine and my bio the side of my understanding biology and science and so, yeah so I joined life sciences and that is where I was exposed to functional medicine and I was actually given the opportunity to study for a year in the International Institute of Functional Medicine uh, and be a certified health coach in functional medicine so oh. It got me back into my, my route, and that really excited me. Yeah, unfortunately, functional medicine is something that had to grow still in the Philippines. It's not 
something that people know. And so when the opportunity uh-huh. was given to me by Makati Medical Center, which you may know is a very famous hospital in the Philippines who has been here for 54 years now. And I took the opportunity to do one of the leadership roles, which I'm still doing right now. That's fantastic. So what were some of the challenges that you faced in terms of, I'm assuming that there were skills like walls you would hit or obstacles that you would face where you would have to develop a new skill set or improve a skill set. You mentioned a couple like communicating and teaching. And then you mentioned that I saw you as a scientist who could communicate, but I don't think at the time you were as skilled in communication as you are now. You mentioned also dealing globally, internationally, there's really cultural nuances is a huge part of it, that emotional intelligence. So I just wonder if you could speak for a moment on some of the challenges that you faced and how you overcame them, what skills that you had to develop. I would say everything around it, no, you just don't become somebody who you are, who I am right now without the experiences and without opening up and learning. Of course, I had that strength in communicating and just having that strength also and understanding of the cultures and being exposed. But I had to learn a lot of things about organization, about the corporate world and how it works, about the systems in different organizations, I had to really ask the questions. No, I learned to raise my hand and ask the question. That's mm-hmm. what I had to do. I had to push myself to raise my hand. Sometimes when you're very young and you're learning and you would like to know things, you would think, am I asking the right question? I may not. They might look at my question as something very silly. But I think through my, I had a mentor No, when I was growing in my career. And one of the things that I learned was, no, you need to raise your hand and ask the questions. So in HR, I had to learn a lot of things. People management, you're just tasked to handle people. And people management is not easy. You're handling people with different backgrounds, different personalities, different, even different cultures, even in the Philippines. No, So people management was something that I had to learn and understand. And it's a why you have to open up yourself to understanding and accepting. And sometimes there are things that you need to unlearn from what you know need from your childhood. Can you give an example of something you have to unlearn? You know, in terms of people management, for example, I saw something that you know about yourself, the things that you want to have, for example, in a work environment. I grew up in a very, I would say very normal. I call it sometimes perfect family. But looking at the people that I was handling, the situations of people are different. And at the start, when you grow up in a normal, healthy, for example, complete and perfect family, you wouldn't understand what is happening and why people are reacting the way they are reacting or the needs that they have. So Mm -hmm. I had to unlearn that. I had to unlearn that and understand a different perspective about people, their needs, their surroundings, surroundings, the environment, the way they grew up, the things they believe in. And so how that can be aligned now with the organization was something I had to learn and I learned from my Yeah, I'm trying to teach my daughter. So she's her friend's birthday party is this weekend. And she said, oh, let's get him a stuffed puppy in a purse. And I said, I don't think he is going to like the stuffed puppy in the purse. She's no, I think it would be great. And I'm like, yeah, you would like that. Exactly. Yeah, it's exactly it. 
I love that. So what would you recommend to someone who's starting out or struggling? Like they're okay, but you're managing thousands of people. I just want to hire my first two, three, four people. How do I do this without creating a catastrophe? I, when I talk to my new employees, no, I tell them to start learning. It's important for people to open up into in learning and taking the risk. I think for people who are starting in an organization like yourself, it's really taking the first step. They always say, just think about it and you're halfway there. This is one of the quotes I always use. Just start thinking about it, plan for it, and you're already halfway there. Some people will step forward and step back and nothing is going to happen while they do that. But instead, pushing yourself forward because you already have the idea, you already have the plan, would already take you halfway there. Yeah, things can happen while you're doing your plans. And as I said, and based on my experience, there's so many things that I had to go through. And then when it was there, that's where I actually learned how to learn and unlearn. Mm -hmm. Until you don't really experience that, until you don't really, it's not in front of your face, you'll not be able to even understand what it is. So take the risk, push forward, and just take the what needs to be done when you face things. So now how, let's translate that into, all right, I have a small business and I'm going to hire some people and I have an idea and I love that. Think about it, plan it. What if they hire people? Like, so first I want to help people that are listening understand that Hiring and training people and managing people is a completely different skill set. And it's something a lot of business owners struggle with because typically they get into business because they're good at doing something. And then they want to build the business or they don't want to work 24 hours a day. So they need help. But now that requires a completely different skill set than what they're doing. And so I think part of what you're saying here is you have to understand that there is a learning curve. There is a process to it. And so to not jump into this and think you're going to get it right the first time. Now, I've heard this. I want to ask your opinion on this. I've heard the term hire slow, fire quick. Would you agree with that? And what does that mean to you? I do agree. When I started talking about when I was exposed to HR and understanding how that candidate, that staff would have the impact in the organization's business and the output of the business was amazing because it really is, you know. People talk about the most important resource of an organization is human because human mm-hmm. is the one mm-hmm. running the business, right? Yes. Yeah. As, yeah. So it is really critical to first understand what you need in your business. So you would have the planning already. As the business owner, you know what you want as an output and you need the help, right? Yeah. So having the slow, as you said, making sure that you put in or place in the right person for the role, it's very critical because it's mm. a break the organization if you just hire someone and put in and nothing is going to happen and you're going to lose a lot of things, especially when you're starting a business. Mm. Yes, I do agree. I do agree that you need to take it slow in terms of really understanding what you need. And if it really matches the people that you're looking at. Sometimes in small organizations or even mid-sized organizations, they start by looking into what they need, but the people that they get are not really fit into exactly mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. they need. No, So that's when you realize, okay, I think I would need two, three different roles to be able to put in into the role that I was thinking originally. Mm-hmm. That can happen. 
And that's very important. It's very vital for you to realize that may be more beneficial to you than pushing someone to do something that is out of the scope and trying to teach something that's not really a competency of the person. Yes. And then, yes. Yeah. So competency evaluation is critical to the organization. Identifying the level of competency and the skills that is needed for your organization is very vital. Now, firing fast. <laughs> I personally believe in that. But of course, in being in HR, human resources, we have to follow labor laws. Right. I think this is something that every country would differ. In the Philippines, we, right. we do coaching and we have a period of coaching and making sure that as line managers or supervisors, we provide the, the support to the employee. And it's just not you know, sudden firing just because we don't, we didn't right. like a, a project or something. And so after coaching, if that's not a fit, then I do believe you have a period of six months or three months in like in the Philippines as we practice. It's not a fit. And it's not only for the organization, but also for the person. For them. Yeah. yeah. I agree with that a hundred percent. We always do two weeks, two week and then three months probation. Correct. Two weeks first and then three months. Now, of course, that's not a one size it's all, but I love what you said, especially when you said being output focused, beginning with the end in mind. So I, when I talk to people and let me know if I'm making a mistake here, I always say it's better to, because some people are like, oh, I need an assistant. I, I coach a lot of people in business and said, oh, I need to hire an assistant. Okay. But what does that mean? And some people, they go, oh, I need an assistant. And then they go find an example job ad and they copy and paste it and they post it. And then they get a bunch of people. And there's no test task. There's no screening process. It's which one do I like? Which one path of least resistance? Which one? And then people don't realize how expensive it can be to hire the wrong person. Oh, yeah. All the time you spend to, to post the job, to collect applicants, to screen, interview, whatever you do, then you hire, then you train them. Then they, there might be a catastrophe. You could lose clients and business because of mistakes that they make. Exactly. And then you have to start the process all over again. And so it can be incredibly expensive to do it wrong. So I love that you said, begin with the end in mind. Often when people say they need someone for a position, I try to have them as a business owner. And it might be a little bit different, obviously, in a bigger corporation. But as a business owner, I have to map out the customer journey from where the customer first hears about the business or has the issue. Like for you, maybe a lot of people might be they come into the emergency room first, right? So it's like there's an axe or something and then they go into the emergency room and then there's all the follow-up, right? So it would be like, that would be an entry point. So they'd map out the entry points and all the path along up until, you know, their satisfaction review and asking for a referral or testimonial. And then I, under that, I would say, list all the nitty gritty tasks, all the to-do items that have to get done for this journey to be supported by people. And then when you write out all the tasks, like if you do advertising, someone's got to write, do the research, and then they have to write an ad, and then they have to put graphics together, and then they have to log into the websites and post the ads and whatever that is. Itemize it in as much of like just banal, mind-numbing detail as you can. And then you take all those and then try to group them into like related skills. Yeah. Now you go hire for those tasks. And this does for a lot of business owners does a couple of things. One, it, it forces them to do exactly like you said, hire with the end in mind to begin with. The second thing it does is it lets them really cut the fat on what this person needs to be doing. The third thing it does, so because when they hire, they're like, what do you need me to do? And if you just copy someone else's job post as an example and post it, like you just, now you got specificity. 
I, they always say when people are hiring, they always want someone who's likable, teachable, and reliable. It doesn't matter where you're going, because as you might get a surgeon and they've, you, they have to pass a certain bar to be able to be ordained a surgeon, but every mm -hmm. hospital operates a little differently. So yeah. you want them to be likable because you got to work with them. They got to deal with patients. They got to be reliable because otherwise, why'd you hire them? And they got to be teachable because every hospital is a little bit different. Yeah. And so that way, yeah. So anyway, so then they've got the task. But then the other part is that for a lot of, you've got your SOPs, your operations manual, like what chapters, what pages, what things, what training you need to provide this person. And for a lot of business owners getting started, it's a great kickstart to that program. Would you agree with that? Is that something that, yeah, okay. I don't definitely. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's really important because there are so many things that the organization can consider in, in hiring, like identifying those areas that needs to be done by a specific type of skill need to be identified. I usually talk about this. COVID has taught us a lot of things in terms of using technology also. You can identify areas that can be done by technology and then hire someone with a higher competency, things that, the, you know, the other things that you need in your organization, then just putting in data, and as you said, copying a job ad, yeah. which is just basic. No, you can have someone with who can do more for your organization, Thanks. a combination. And efficiency is just, it's there. Yeah, I agree, Said. So can you share maybe a brief overview of Makati Medical Center's like current objectives right now? We've been, as I said, we've been here in the Philippines for 54 years. We are a hospital with a heart. So our main objective is really taking care of our patient and helping the community. Mm -hmm. That's always been there. And I think the success of our, uh, our hospital is because of that. Our doctors, the medical team, and all the support group, we come to work with that kind of understanding of that. We are a hospital with a heart. We want to help the community. Mm -hmm. And this is something... That we did for the community when pandemic hit us. No, we were one of the first hospitals to really provide that help to the community in providing that care. And, and of course, when the vaccines came in and we were given that opportunity also to give that to the community. I think the objective is really now understanding the needs of the community also we mm. are growing it's amazing that even during the pandemic when everybody was closing we were expanding yeah. we were expanding our services we want to reach to more if you are familiar with the philippines in manila the hospital is located in makati it is a business center of manila the first business center. And now we would like to really expand and reach to other areas and even going south of Manila. Right. So that's the plan for the next five years to do that. We expanded a few clinics here and there. We would like to further expand. Yeah, I, I renewed my first aid training recently, mm -hmm. a couple of months ago. And one, I was really surprised that they mentioned one of the parts because it was the Red Cross, I think. And they talk about on the Red Cross, the videos and all that's so always called 911, 911. They're like, in the Philippines, there's no 911. And, yeah. and everybody's got a different territory. And here, for people that don't know, inside every city, there's, think of suburbs in a city. Here, they call them barangays. And they're their yeah. own, they have their own governance. Like, they're, they have their own. So sometimes the barangay is the one that has the ambulance. 
Sometimes it's, mm-hmm. private. it's just, it's, there's not, it's not like a lot of people are used to in countries where there's like a uniform, you know, system here. It's really, it's almost like feudal Japan, you know, <laughs> yeah. with different samurai clans. It's like feudal Japan with different hospital groups in that. Yeah. So how do you currently approach employee training and development within Makati Medical Center? Oh, we have a training department under human resources. And what is different, I think, from my experience with other organizations that I work with is that we have our subcommittees in different divisions, like the nursing division, we have the service operations division and other divisions that are doing their own programs for their Mm. employees because they need to identify the skills, the technical skills, no? But they all report to somehow dotted line to human resources in terms of monitoring and making sure that we provide the right training. And that's a combination of both soft skills and the technical skills. Now, of course, HR usually provides the soft skills training, but it is really combined with the technical skills. Our team in human resources closely coordinate with the different training groups in the divisions in understanding other training programs, which is really targeted. In a hospital, you have very diverse roles. Any kind of role you would like to see, you will find in a hospital. So you have the medical team with different rat tech, med tech, everything, nurse, and and even the subcategories of these roles. And then, of course, you have the support. You have HR, accounting, marketing, and everything. So you have a very diverse and to just balance that, you need that we have that coordination and collaboration in understanding. And so we really target, we have our mandatory training, which is the basic life support and advanced life support for depending on the role. And then we have targeted kind of training for nursing. We have targeted training for other areas of our organization. So what specific skills or behaviors do you believe are important? for your staff to improve or develop? If you talk about soft skills, no, and looking at the hospital setup, it's really customer, understanding customer. It's mm. a very, being in the medical role, it's not an easy job. Right. For those who are listening and are in this role, you know what I'm talking about. On a daily basis, you don't know what you're getting and the challenges. And you would have roles that is, something that's routine already but in in a hospital you don't have that that being resilient and really having that strength in that area is very important so this is what we emphasize and the soft skills that we provide is that understanding your customer understanding the needs of the customer and the communication how do you communicate with people who are sick yeah yeah you have the sick with you and you it's not only the sick but also the family member who is yes in a panic mood or there's so many things that our employees would face on a daily on a daily basis so that's i think it's very important for a hospital to to recognize and to provide that support to the employees you know? yeah. because they need to understand how they're going to take care of themselves we yeah. also focus on mental health that is mm. it's very important because as an individual, you have your own challenges in life. Right. And you come to the office, to the work environment, and you have to face and help 
the challenges of other people. Yep. So how do you balance that when you go home and you have to take care of your family? Mm. So the mental health of our employees is very important. And we have different talks and sessions for our employees. We also do targeted sessions and we are very lucky because we have the doctors and we have our psych and we have the wellness group in our organ in our hospital who help us. They we collaborate yeah. with the wellness center, yeah. And they yeah. talk about how you need to handle these things and how you have to take care of yourself. And also we provide trainings to our line managers, like the supervisors. Mm -hmm. How do you identify when your staff is having such concern or have mental problems already? So when the mm -hmm. line manager is able to identify that, then we will be able to also help and support the employee. That's really good. That's really important. Now, how do you measure the effectiveness of the training programs? Oh, we we have after like after program sessions with the line managers. There's a series. You would have the regular survey after the training, of course. That's when the the staff who went through the training will give you the feedback. But then we have another kind of checkpoints with the staff and the line manager. When I talk about line managers, I'm talking about the supervisor of, this is the terminology we use in the hospital. So it's the supervisor of the staff. In terms of now, what is the impact of that training and what are the areas? Because we do gap analysis. We have mm. a career ar architecture plan. So when the employee is targeted for a specific training program, there's a gap that has been identified and on how we can develop the person. So if the employee would like to go from this point to this point, what are the gaps, soft skills, and technical skills? When we give that to the employee, then there's an evaluation. Okay, so have mm. the employee reach that level of competency or that skill that is required for the development of the employee. So there's a six months evaluation after the training, as I said, both the staff and the supervisor. I love that. I love that. I love that. So what are some of the greatest mistakes that you see either the supervisors or the other HR managers making? What are the biggest mistakes that you see people making when they're leading and managing others? In general, you mean, so just leading people, that's the question. Okay. So I think in terms of the line managers or the supervisors in make some of the things that I've observed, it's really promoting putting a staff just because they need an area in their organization let's say usually in an organization somebody leaves somebody resigns and the supervisor immediate immediately gets into a panic attack right oh no <laughs> and, we're gonna be shorthanded oh no somebody has left so what am i gonna do and pushes other people to handle a specific role or pushes another incumbent or the employee that's there to do this role together with the role that he or she has been doing this is sometimes catastrophic it's not it doesn't work just you know it, it doesn't provide what you really need and it doesn't help the employee of course, I don't know in other countries, but in the Philippines, Filipino culture is always a very kind, yes, kind of culture. And when the supervisor says, I want you to do this, can you please do this? Because you have to, and we need to do this. And they always say yes. Right. But then actually they're not able to do it. They don't have the understanding. And 
Right. For them being very shy and not raising their hand in terms of what are the things that I need and I need to understand, can you help me? When that is not there, it doesn't work. No, it isn't, doesn't work. So Isn't that called like yeah. the Peter principle or something where people get promoted until their highest level of incompetence? You do a good job at this, so they promote you and they do a good job at that, they promote you. And then you do a terrible job here, so they leave you there because they yes. can't demote you. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And that's a very big mistake. And then when you're there, when you're a supervisor and you're there, you just don't know what to do anymore. You're in a place where, oh my God, I'm, I need to do this, but I don't have the person. And where are you going to get? Then you go to HR and say, I need another person. HR says, no, you don't need another person. You already have this organization set up and you have put that person there. And so what are you going to do? That's a very... That's a common mistake of some of the supervisors because that's an immediate reaction. Mm -hmm. That's why slow hiring is very important. What we do is we really sit down and talk to them about what do you really need in this organization. The person who has left had this kind of skills. So let's, you know, we provide them the guidance in terms of, okay, maybe there are other options that you can consider. And that opens up the window, the door to them in understanding, oh, yeah, okay, so I do have some other options. And yeah, that's right. I should wait. But if, you know, the employee is good, then why not? That's the, that's the mistake that I think we do. HR, I think one of the things almost every week, I think I say to my staff, I have 40 plus direct reporting staff, although I have five department managers who report to me and then they have their own staff. What I say is, because being in HR is very difficult, you need to balance employee, welfare, and organization. Yes. Organization's welfare. You're like in the middle that have to understand both and make things balanced. So when people come to you, when you're in HR, it's very hard always to say no to people. And the mistakes that some HR professionals do is because they're in that situation, it's very hard. They always say yes, which should not. Mm. So what I tell my people is you don't have to say no. You're going to say we have other options for you. So instead of saying no, provide options for them because that's your that's our role to provide that roadmap. For... And what do you mean by provide options? Let's say, as the example that I said earlier, the supervisor would say, this person resigned, I really need to do this. I'm going to put this person here, which we identify immediately that the staff is a rank and file, let's say, is a rank and file, which is a lower level, not a supervisor, and you want to put in a people manager position or role, and the person doesn't have the competency. So we don't say... Just know you cannot do that because that's something that is not going to support the organization or the unit or the vision. The supervisor would say, HR is not really helping me. So we say, let's look at this. These are your other options. We can do this from here and that because what we see is the overall. There are other right. staff across the different departments wherein we can share. Yep. We can share, we can develop. Internal development is a priority of mine. Instead of just getting people from outside, why don't we develop our own people? Mm, and there's diversity. So there's diversity. And that will help 
retention of our employees because the employee would feel I'm recognized and I'm given that opportunity. Mm -hmm. And then the unit itself is, will not suffer. Yeah, I think that's so brilliant. And I wrote down, because I've been taking, I, I take notes. I'm not, I'm paying attention. If I look away, it's often I'm writing down. I wrote down, slow hiring prevents emotional or impulsive or narrow focused decisions. And this is really relevant because recently I had that a similar situation happen where someone on the team had a life issue and they had to exit. And actually what I did is I started collecting applications, but then I sat down and did some thinking about it. And what I actually did is I ended up hiring a programmer and I'm not a coder, but I'm not, I'm dangerous. We'll put it that way. I couldn't do it as a career, but I'm, I can be dangerous. And with me and two coders, we basically set up automated systems that reduce the need for three staff. And actually my partner's business, she used to need 15 staff to maintain her portfolio of clients. And now she can do it with three. And yeah. that's where if instead we, and that was a side effect. That was just a side benefit. I was, I, this wasn't intentionally done to help her business in any way, but it was, Hey, this person left. I need this role done. Hey, let's set up these four different software systems to talk to each other and it'll run 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And then it was like, Hey, we make a couple of tweaks to this. My partner can use this too. And I was just like, here you go, honey. And she's, I've been getting lots of back rubs. We'll just say that because you know <laughs> what that's done for her margins is great. So that's I just good. Think that that's that's good. hiring slow take, but if I had to just like you mentioned exactly, like you said, impulsively panic, what was is what needs to be. I had these many people. I had these people in these positions. Oh my goodness. What am I going to do? Yeah. I would have missed that opportunity. So I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Now, what habits do you feel have helped you in your career path? Like as an individual? Taking risks. I think that's something that I learned throughout my career. That it's okay when you think about something. And it really makes sense. As I said, I had mentors throughout my career. Um, and they really helped me understand that taking risk in some areas would really give you not only the understanding, but the success. Not everything that you want to do will happen. That's okay. Mm -hmm. But they're always learning why it did not happen. So then from that kind of learning, then the next step, the, the next you know, plan that you have will be better than the previous one because the previous one did not help. So I think that's something that really helped me. I learned maybe because of my exposure in the international community that it's a different kind of culture. And my personal, me being, being in a foreign family, that me raising my hand and asking the question and taking that risk made me really successful in my growth in my career that's a good tip now i want to ask a bit about what do you feel are the future trends for your industry there's been a lot of new developments ai a lot of robotics a lot of yeah. machine learning stuff and this is has huge implications for how patients will be treated the other day we stopped in um, doing like our annual health checkup and this place around the corner Half of, most of it was automated. You go in, they had a thing to stand on that weighs you. It tells you how tall you are, all this stuff. I was almost expecting a thing to open up and ask me to pee in a cup at the same time. I was like, what is going on here? I'm like plugged into four things. Oh, and it was just a quick pop in to set an appointment. 
But on the way out, there was even like the stand rate us on a scale, like the different happy faces. You just smack it on as you walk out the door. Yeah. A lot of these little feedback loops and automations happening in place and that. What do you, what do you feel is the future trends of the industry, both in terms of technology and again, you mentioned the pandemic, post-pandemic. There's, for some people, there's been a, let you speak to that. I'm not going to. Okay. Yeah, I think yeah, technology, I think. That's something that pande- pandemic has taught us. As I mentioned earlier, we learn a lot about those things. This interview, for example, we're doing Zoom. We don't right. have to be face-to-face. And that's just provided a lot of efficiency for many of us. I think robotics is something that is already coming in. You know? And we actually are already talking about it. Of course, it really depends. I personally, I'm not only talking about the Philippine culture, no. I think being sick, you need a human interaction. Mm-hmm. You still need the doctor by your side. You still need the nurse by your side. Although for them to be do other things for you, there are some of what they do can be done through technology as you yourself experienced. Yeah. No, but we cannot <clears throat> totally remove the human part there. No, yeah. In terms of I think one of the things that I have seen, even with some of the doctors discussing this and even my own personal friends, is people are now really understanding their body after Mm -hmm. the pandemic. This virus has affected people in different ways. Everybody's been touched somehow. Right? And so there are people who, you know, unfortunately passed away. There are people who went through it feeling nothing and people who went through it like a flu so now people are now really looking inside themselves and understanding how my body works and what my body needs and mm-hmm. that's a good thing i i think people are now changing their lifestyles and understanding what helps them and how they can protect themselves so it's really a combination of these things that can help every individual but again in terms of looking forward in what is seen in a hospital setting i think robotics is already coming in different kinds of technology in terms of also having more information about the body of our patient is already available and that's very that's how we can now provide more care to our people Mm. because we don't have the doctor doesn't have to spend so many hours Mm. understanding Mm. the patient the doctor immediately get a screen with all the details Mm. about the patient and that makes us provide more you know or handle more patients and i think that's something that we're looking forward to also that's powerful now you've been so forthcoming and so helpful and i want to be respectful of your time so before we're up I want to ask, is there anything that I haven't asked you that I should have asked you? Oh, I can't think of anything that I have not discussed, no, but something that maybe something that I like to emphasize is this pandemic was the time for us to really now recognize the work of our healthcare workers because our healthcare workers have been doing this for the longest time. And that recognition of how much they're doing for our community was not really something that anyone was even thinking about. I think this is a time we're in. We really would like to thank them 
Mm. When the virus hit, everybody was just hiding in their homes. But our nurses, our other allied health professionals. Even support staff, like the guy, the custodian mopping the floor and disinfecting railing, right? Yes, yes, exactly. People generally working in such setup in hospitals, really taking care of the ill, is now recognized. And I'm happy to say that this pandemic, though, was not something that we want to have again, or we would think in a very 100% positive way. But I think there are some things that we learn from this and some things that we recognize now, which, which is good. No, which is good. Yeah, so well said. I think there were a lot of lessons learned, there were mistakes made, but there's also appreciation that for good things that were there and something that I think we can be proud of in a lot of ways. So I think that's a really powerful, that's a powerful way to end this. Bita, thank you so much for your time today. Like I said, I've got a couple pages of notes. I really appreciate you. I know you've got thousands of staff that you could be taking time to do one-on-ones and walk management by walking around. So I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to come and share with my people. It's been an honor and a pleasure. Of course. Thank you for the invite. And it's always nice to share my experiences. I hope people will learn something from what we've discussed. No, And it was an interesting talk also. Thank you, Darren.